the scriptures today are found in Luke 24 and Matthew 28. And so you can turn to Luke 24 first. We'll get there in a moment. And that's going to be the story of the road to Emmaus. And if you haven't read that story before, I guarantee you're going to love it. It's that story that happens on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, where there are two men, two disciples who were dejected and, and traveling to a, a town called Emmaus, where they meet a stranger, a stranger on the road to Emmaus. So we're going to look at that story. And then the other passage is from Matthew 28. If you remember last week on Resurrection Sunday, we looked at the beginning of Matthew 28, the story of that Sunday morning. Uh, but now we're going to also look today at the end of, chap- of chapter 28 of Matthew, the end of his gospel, where we see what we often call the Great Commission. You know, um, all of us spend time making preparations, don't we? I mean, uh, so much of our life, if you were to just stop and think, is is made up of preparing. We always seem to be preparing for something, for whatever's next, right? Maybe you're, you're you feel like you're always in the kitchen preparing a meal, you know. And I remember, you know, my uh, my mother-in-law and uh, her. Um, uh, you know, she loves to cook and she loves to cook Spanish food and I love her for that. And, um, you know, and so she would, she make all kinds of great stuff and, and one of the things we love most is tortillas, homemade tortillas. And so one time, this is a few years ago, I sat down with her. I said, Abuelita, I said, can you give me the recipes for the, these, these dishes I love so much? And of course, part of the problem is that she never had these written down. So I was like, how much of this? And she would say, oh, just a little bit or you know, this or that. So that was kind of hard to write down a recipe, you know. But I remember getting that recipe for the tortillas and it, boy, it seemed like it, it, it seemed so easy. A little bit of flour, a little bit of water and this, you know. But it, it took a long time to make these. If you've ever made them from scratch and you have to put all the ingredients together, right? And you put it into a ball and you have to let it sit and then you flatten it and then you put it on the griddle. And I remember thinking, because she would always make them and we would eat them up, you know, but she was always at the stove making more, but I never really caught on to that. So one day I said, I'm going to make them for the family. So I took all this time to prepare and made a whole bunch and put them on the table. And I go to sit down and they're all gone because you spend all this time preparing and then all of a sudden they go like that. And I, and I thought to myself, man, all those years that Abuelita would be making these for the love of her family. But just thinking how much time and preparation goes into something like just making a home-cooked meal. But we prepare for maybe for the work the next day. You're the kind of person that puts your clothes out uh, the night before or anybody like that. Or maybe you don't want to uh, admit it. I don't know. That's good. And uh, my dad is like that. would always lay out his clothes the night before. And some of us, uh, you know, we prepare for things, but we prepare about 30 seconds before we have to do it, right? So we're still preparing, but... Maybe you're preparing for work, you're preparing for a vacation, and you make all kinds of plans, you know. Um, we, uh, we're preparing for a move, and so this Thursday we're moving, but um, the original plan for the last few months was that we were moving on Wednesday up until yesterday morning, and we got a call from the contractor doing some work on the new house and said, you know, it's just not going to be ready for you to move in on Wednesday. Now, when he said that, I remember just pausing, and, and real quickly, all these things started going through my head, all the other preparations that you have to make 
in order to move. You can't just say, yeah, I'll move this day, I'll move that day. You have a moving company and you have utilities and you have people delivering stuff. And so we had to remake all kinds of preparations. But what's the lesson there? The lesson there is that you can make all kinds of preparations, but sometimes you do all that you can. You're just not truly prepared for what might happen. But isn't that why we need faith? And we rely on God, right? So it's good to make those preparations. I mean, but we need to rely on the Lord. And so we, we prepare for life. And, and uh, we prepare for the, thing, the big things that happen in life. We prepare for a wedding. Years in advance sometimes. We prepare for life. We prepare for death. Maybe you make out a will and, and, and you get a burial plot and you say what you want to happen uh, uh, at your funeral and on your tombstone. We make preparations for life and for death. But church, Jesus made all kinds of preparations. Jesus spent three and a half years with his followers, with his disciples. You know what he was doing for those three and a half years? Preparing. He was preparing. For the 30 years prior to that, as Jesus grew into a young man, what was He doing? He was preparing. And God the Father was preparing Him to do what? Jesus was preparing to fulfill His mission. And so Jesus was preparing His followers for life. For life with Him. But for life and death. For His life but also for his death. So Jesus was always preparing for what was next. He spent all that time right, with his followers preparing them that he had to go to the cross. They didn't quite understand it. Preparing them that he would die but come back to life. They didn't understand it until they would actually see the empty tomb or even with Thomas to see the scars in his hand. See, so much of life is about preparations. Jesus made preparations. So I want to read these two passages to you now. This is from Luke 24, 13 to 35. You can look it up in your, in your Bibles. If, if you don't have one, just listen and you can hear this story. It's a wonderful story. And think about as I read this, think about wouldn't it be great to just kind of be a fly on the wall or just like somebody hiding in the bushes as these two men walked along this path and had this conversation and then this stranger, quote unquote, joins them. We don't have the full story, but it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did on the day that he rose from the grave. So here it is, Luke 24, 13 to 35. It says, that very day, so this is the day that he rose, that Sunday of Resurrection Day, two of them, meaning two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, even seen a vision of angels who, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if He were going farther, but... They urged him strongly, saying, No, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened up the Scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Is that not an amazing story? If you did not catch on, that stranger was Jesus Himself. He rose from the grave on that day and then appeared in His glorified body, appeared to them. They did not recognize Him. Is it awesome that it says that along the road, Jesus taught them from the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, right? The New Testament was still being written at this time. From the Old Testament, Jesus taught these two disciples everything the Old Testament said about Himself. Which means He went through all the prophecies of the Old Testament and showed them where it said that He was the Messiah. That He was to come in Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That He would be the one that would have to die that by His stripes they would be healed and that He would come back to life on the third day. Wouldn't you have loved to have just been there? Because it doesn't, it doesn't give us the whole sermon, the whole teaching that Jesus gave. It just said, from Moses and the prophets and all the Scriptures, Jesus revealed to these men. But you know what? They still didn't believe. And they said, no, just come and eat with us. The the day is over. And so he did. But Jesus then broke the bread. And in that, they remembered. They remembered the preparations that Jesus had made 
a short time earlier in the upper room during the Last Supper, preparing them over the Lamb, over the elements, the bread and the cup, and He prepared them for what was next. They still didn't understand until He went through those those motions of breaking the bread and then they remembered. Church, in a few minutes, we're going to end our time together through the bread and the cup. That we're going to have our time, what we call communion. It is communing with Christ through those two elements. Remembering. Why do we do it? Jesus says, do it in remembrance of Me. We do it, why? To continually prepare ourselves for what the world is going to bring our way. For what God is going to show us and where He's going to lead us that we never forget the sacrifice of Jesus and that we always remember the resurrection on the third day. And so Jesus was preparing His disciples and even along the road to Emmaus, preparing them for what would come next. And here's the other passage, much shorter passage I want to read to you. Some of you may have even memorized this years ago. This is what we call the Great Commission. It is Matthew 28. Verses 16 to 20. Here's what it says. Now the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Remember that? Remember when the women saw Him at the uh, at the tomb and He said, Go, yes, I am risen, and go tell the others, right? To go meet Me. And so it says they, they went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped Him, but some still doubted. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was next. He was saying, okay, you are now going to continue my mission. You are going to now be the church, which would soon be birthed just a few days after. See, what was happening was that Jesus, He rose from the grave for 40 days, the Scriptures say, that He appeared numerous times over the course of 40 days. He appeared in His resurrected body. He appeared to different groups of disciples to finish teaching them. But after 40 days, we have what's called the ascension. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And a few of the disciples got to see that amazing sight. Ten days later, ten days after the ascension, you know what happened? The church was born. It's what we call Pentecost. It's what we see in the first two chapters of the book of Acts. You see, Luke wrote his gospel, but then he also wrote the book of Acts to show what the church was, how it was born, and what it was to do. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, church, remember this. After Easter is all about the church. It's us getting our great commission from our Master who says, it's better that I go back to the Father now. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, but I will return. So church, we have a commission. 
We have a responsibility, a calling, a job to do, and it's actually very simple. It's not always easy to fulfill, but it's very simple. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I'm about to go back to the Father, but I want you to go. I want you to go. Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. So you go, it says, you baptize them and you teach them all the things I taught you. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, yes, I'm going, but I'm really not leaving you. But church, there is our great commission. So what happens after Easter? It's the church. The church is now on mission. 2,000 years later, it's the same calling. It's the same directive from our Master. It's the same commission. But we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be able to do what Jesus has called us to do. You know, it's like we're on that road to Emmaus and Jesus says, let me teach you from my Word. Open my Word and read it. Let me teach you all that was said about me so that you can continue to be my followers generation after generation. And he says, you know what? I'm going to empower you to do it and you're going to be my hands and feet. You're going to be my representatives. Well, Jesus, what do you want us to do? He said, make disciples. How are we to do that? Go. So first you have to go and evangelize and tell people that I have risen just like the women did, and just like the two men on the the road to Emmaus did, and said, He is risen indeed. And so first we go and tell others about Jesus to believe. Well, then what, Jesus? Once they believe, you baptize them so that they publicly uh, announce that they are part of this body, part of my body. And then what, Jesus? We go and and we teach, we we, uh, uh, we share the gospel. They become believers. We baptize them. Then what? He says, you teach them everything I taught you. That's called discipleship. See, church, that's what we're called to do: make disciples. In the Greek, I don't often do this, but this is really interesting and important. In this passage in Matthew 28, when he says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them." In the original language, there's only one word in there that is a true command. It's the main command, and that is make disciples. The other three words are like subordinate to that. It's like, how do you do that? So the command of Jesus is make disciples. But then he says, this is how you make disciples. First you go, and he he does it in sequential order. First you go... And you, you, you witness and you tell them. When they become believers, you baptize them, and then you teach them. See how, see the process? That's called discipleship. That's what we're called to do. It's very simple. But again, that doesn't mean that it's always easy. But it's what we are called to do. So what happens after Easter? Jesus appears to the two men on the road to Emmaus. He appears to many others. Forty days later, he ascends to the Father, and he says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Jesus said, wait here. Wait in Jerusalem. 
Ten days later, we see what happens in the opening chapters of Acts. And the Holy Spirit comes down and the church is born. And here we are, more than 2,000 years later, carrying on that legacy, that tradition of the early disciples, the very first church, the very first group of Christians. See, we are carrying that on. Jesus spent his life making preparations, preparing his disciples for what was next, preparing them to continue to be learners and followers, that they would grow and that they would go and serve others. Jesus was preparing them, listen, for Good Friday, preparing them for his death, for the cross. He was preparing them for Resurrection Sunday, that He would come back to life. And now after Easter, preparing them to be the church. And how does that happen? We go and we tell others. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, that He came back to life, that God accepted His payment on the cross for our sins. When Jesus rose back to life, God accepted that payment. And now what are we to do? Just what the first disciples did. We go out and we teach others. Saying, do you know that He is risen? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? We believe in a a man who, who came back to life. Oh, you do, huh? Wow, that's interesting. But that is why we say the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. In um, in 1 Corinthians 15, make sure you write that down. The perfect chapter to read all about the resurrection. First chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, that's his great treatise on the importance of the resurrection. And he says, without it, we have no faith. Without it, our preaching is in vain, he says. If Jesus didn't come back to life, God is not even truly God. In Acts chapter 1, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 1. The very first of five verses. Here, here is Luke. If you didn't know, Luke wrote his gospel, the, right? The, the book of Luke. And he wrote Acts. So it's like part one is the life and times of Jesus. And then part two is the life and times, the beginning of the church. See, it's the church continuing Jesus' mission. So he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's like, I wrote my gospel, and I said everything that Jesus did and taught. Until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. He did it by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. Which he said, you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Do you see that? So after the resurrection, 40 days, Jesus appeared, continued teaching to his disciples in his resurrected body. Forty days later, he took a few of his disciples and he said, watch this. And he ascended into heaven. But he said, don't go anywhere. Just wait a little while longer. And it was ten days later that the Holy Spirit came down upon that first group of disciples. And they were filled and the church was born. 
Jesus gave two commandments when he was returning to heaven at the ascension. He said, stay in Jerusalem, and then when you get the Holy Spirit, go into all the world. Now, I want to pause there for a second, church. Can we make sure that we get that? Let's get this sequence right, okay? I think oftentimes we kind of neglect this or pass over this, but Jesus says to his disciples, before he gives them the great commission to go into all the world to make disciples, he says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that? Why would he say, first wait so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and then go? So I think oftentimes we get it backwards. We go and we try to do and do and do good things, but we do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was saying, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you shortly to go and I'm going to command you go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, but wait, don't go yet. Don't go yet. They were raring to go. He said, you got to wait. Because you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You're going you're gonna to fail miserably. See, so he says, first wait. Wait here. Then you receive the Holy Spirit. And then you go. See how that works? Church, we cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We cannot please God. We cannot be obedient. We cannot use the, the, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, when you become a believer, let's make sure we're clear. When you believe in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your sin and in Jesus alone, at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells you, so you have the Holy Spirit. But then there's something called the filling of the Holy Spirit. When we can pray and through our obedience, we are then filled as we empty ourselves of, of all the other junk that the world wants to bring our way. And we, we ask that He would fill us with the Holy Spirit. It comes through obedience, see? Then we can do the work that God has called us to do. See? So we have the Holy Spirit within us, but do you know that He doesn't automatically do His thing, right? We have to be obedient and allow Him to empower us to do what we are called to do. So, in this beautiful story on the road to Emmaus, it really can be seen as uh, illustrating the life of every believer. It goes like this. On that road to Emmaus, they moved from doubt to discovery to discipleship. You see that? First they doubted, and their heads were down, it says. They were dejected. But then Jesus taught them from the Scriptures, and they discovered who He was. And then they decided to become disciples. After sharing with Jesus on the road their discouragement and their doubt at the crucifixion and the the empty tomb, they didn't see Jesus. Jesus says to them, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, everything that you've already heard the prophets say, wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, then enter glory? See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, you should know better. You have the, the book right there. You've read it. You should know that this is what was predicted. And so Jesus, being gracious and loving, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. I would love when I'm preparing for a sermon, instead of going to a a commentary where I have somebody else 
who is um, interpreting it for me, which is very helpful and good, godly men and women. I would love to have Jesus just say, oh, you're struggling with that passage? Let me explain it to you. I would love that. And that's what happened on the road to Emmaus, see? But they moved from doubt to discovery. Because it says they invited him to, to eat with them. Then their eyes were opened. And they found hope that they had lost. Church, you get that? They had lost hope. They had lost hope. Did you ever lose hope? Did you ever lose hope because there was so much discouragement, so much doubt, listen, so much disillusion, and you lose hope? Jesus is there. You might not recognize Him like the men on the road, but Jesus is always present and always there. And through the Holy Spirit will remind you, do you remember what it says in My Word that I gave you? Just like He did to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And once they discovered, they moved from doubt to discovery, it says they turned to each other and they said, whoa, yeah, didn't our hearts burn within us? Like something was happening on that road. And when He was talking to us, when He opened to us the Scriptures. Is that what happens to you when you open the Scriptures? That your heart starts to burn within you? Because you remember... Maybe you read something you had forgotten about, or you learn something new about God's wonderful character and nature. And they were like, yeah, something was changing in us on that road, but we didn't see it. So they moved from doubt to discovery, and then finally to discipleship. The Christian life is a journey. You know what's a journey? It's a journey of learning and growing and serving. Learning, because Jesus taught them as they walked. It's a journey of growing because their hearts and minds were transformed and burning within them. It's a journey of then serving because they offered Him a meal and they went and told others. See how that works? On their journey from doubt to discovery to discipleship. It's the learning, the growing, the serving. The learning Jesus taught them. It's the growing. It says their eyes were opened because their hearts were burning within them. And it's the serving. They said, yeah, eat a meal with us. Then they ran and then told others about Jesus. It's a great illustration for our lives as well. And their response, it said, they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They rushed back and busted in the room and said, the Lord has risen indeed because we saw Him. Being a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower. To respond to what you're taught. To change because of it and then to live it out to tell others. They proclaimed the resurrection. The good news of the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. As the church, see, we're supposed to journey together and encourage each other to live the life of faith while we at the same time are introducing others to the hope of Christ found in the truth of the Scriptures, just like Jesus did to the two men on the road to Emmaus. But we must never lose sight of what happens after Easter. We put so much, em- so much emphasis on Easter and Resurrection Day as we should. But what happens after Easter? After Easter, we now be the church. See, We get to go. And tell others about Jesus, baptizing them and teaching them. But what is that importance of the resurrection? 
See, the disciples, let's not miss this, church. The disciples had lost hope. It says their heads were down. They were dejected. Did you ever go through a day like that? Some days you're just like this and you're praising God and everything's great. And some days you just can't but hang your head. They had lost hope. They were dejected. But after Jesus opened their eyes, they had their hope back. Paul, he saw this happening with the first group of Christians. Now you would think maybe it would take a few generations for for the excitement to wear out. In the first group of Christians, when he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, he's telling them all about the resurrection. Jesus, look, this is what he explains. We won't turn there. Paul explains that Jesus is called the first fruits. You ever hear that? He's called the first fruits. The resurrection was the first fruits. And here's why that's important. Do you see, at harvest time, the Israelites, they could not bring in the whole harvest without first bringing in a sample. It's what the law told them. They would have to bring in a sample and bring it as an offering to the priest as a representative of the rest of the harvest. Do you see that? That was the first fruit. So they would have the harvest, they would go out, and they would take the, the choice first fruits and bring it to the priest as an offering. And it would be representative of the full harvest. See? Jesus is called the first fruits. Because Jesus rose first. But why is it important? So we have the hope of eternal life. Because one day, we will rise again in our glorified bodies and enjoy eternity with God. But that wouldn't be possible without Jesus rising from the grave. So Paul said he's the first fruits. He's the one that went first. He was offered up. Don't miss this. He was offered up on our behalf. And he was accepted by God. And now we have that great hope of resurrection because he is the first fruits. It says it this way. First Corinthians 15. Paul says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who pass away, who are dead in Christ. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See that? Paul makes it so clear. So Jesus is our advocate, our great high priest, the one who went before us, the first fruits sacrificed on our behalf, the Passover lamb, slain for us, who rose again as he predicted and as the scriptures prophesied, so that we might have hope in this life and the life to come. You know, Job asks this question in Job 14. Job says this, if someone dies, will he live again? It's really a question that we all ask ourselves at some point in our life. That's really a search for hope. Everybody that you see throughout every day, they whether they know it or not, church, listen, they are searching for something to hope in. We all need hope in this world, don't we? The disciples on the road to Emmaus had lost hope. They had lost hope. The resurrection is what changes lives. It changed the lives of the two dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And it was from then on that they preached the resurrection. And that should be the focus of our witness. So, if we are to be people of hope in a hopeless world, we need to proclaim that He is risen. 1 Peter 1.3 is a great summary of this. Listen to what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can I read that again, please? He says, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? It's all about life. Church, isn't that wonderful? Yes, thank you. We can have an amen. Once in a while, it's good. It's good, and we are grateful that we have new life because of His mercy, mercy, new birth, living hope. Our hope is not based on a dead Savior. It is based on a risen Savior. So let me summarize this, and then we'll, we'll conclude with the elements of the bread and the cup together to the Lord's table. We are to celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Share the good news with others that He is risen and continue Jesus' mission by fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples. How do we do it? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. It is the discipleship process which starts with believing. It's the journey from doubting to discovery to discipleship. As we say here at Trinity, it's from learning to growing to serving.